Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. This is the word of God for us this morning. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread, his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases, and, um, various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Will you pray with me, please? Father, again, we bow before you. And time to look at your word. And we would ask you that this morning, you would work in our lives. Even if we came here not expecting it, Lord, would you show us your glory. Show us your power. Show us your majesty. And give us joy in your presence. Let us worship you well. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Today we turn our attention one more time to the gospel according to Matthew and the life of the Lord Jesus. We've recently seen Jesus overcome the temptations that were thrown at him by the devil who tried to get Jesus to, well, fail in his mission by simply sinning and not doing things the way God had planned. But Jesus overcame that temptation. And today, in what is a pretty brief little section, we're going to see what could be thought of as an introduction to the public ministry of Jesus. We see important truths about who Jesus is and about what Jesus did. And we're going to learn five important things that we can do or think or expect as proper responses to what we see in this passage. So let's not worry about any big flowery introduction. Let's just jump right in to the text for this morning. Our first point today is this. Expect rejection. Expect rejection. Look at verse 12 in your Bible as we get started here, looking at this introduction to the ministry of Jesus. It said, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. 
We don't actually know how much time has passed from the baptism and temptation of Jesus to this moment. For sure, Jesus and his disciples were doing ministry in the south, in the area called Judea. And John the Baptist had continued to minister in that region as well. And as the fame of Jesus increased, the ministry of John the Baptist decreased. But the ministry of John did not decrease so much that he didn't come to the attention of Herod Antipas. He was the ruthless ruler of the region. Herod was an immoral man who involved himself in tabloid-worthy affairs. King Herod Antipas famously divorced his wife and married the ex-wife of his half-brother Philip, a woman named Herodias, who also happened to be his niece. And John had the boldness, the audacity, to denounce that marriage as sinful. And that led to Herod having John arrested. Sometime later, it will actually lead to Herod having the Baptist killed. Well, when Jesus learned about John's arrest at the hands of Herod, he changed the location of his ministry. He left Judea in the south and returned to the north, to the area of his childhood, the region of Galilee. Now, Herod was also the ruler in Galilee, but this region took Jesus a little further away from him, and it took him out of the eye of the Jewish religious leaders who had it in for John the Baptist and whose attention was about to turn to Jesus. Also, the region of Galilee had a large population of people with a variety of ethnic backgrounds, with a variety of social backgrounds. Galilee was a great place for Jesus to go to begin a ministry that was going to reach well beyond the region. Now, before we move on, before we see something of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, there's something for us to learn from the life of John the Baptist. John was faithful. John preached the word of God. John prepared the people of God for the arrival of Jesus, the promised rescuer, the promised king. John, he lived out in the desert. He dressed simply. He ate simply. And people, for the most part, liked him. Even when he called them to turn away from their sins, they liked him. When he told them, you need to get ready because God's king is coming, they liked him. But John was ultimately rejected. He was rejected by the religious establishment that wanted nothing to do with his clear call for repentance. He was rejected and hated by Herod Antipas, who would not stomach the notion. Can you imagine the audacity that John would dare to say, that Herod did not have the right to marry whomever he wished under whatever circumstances he desired. Can you imagine guys living in a world where people would look down on you for telling people that they weren't allowed to get married? I can't fathom it myself. Actually, that's the world we live in, isn't it? The truth is, believers, the world around us is not interested in the teachings of the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean we stop telling them, but they're not interested on their own. We need to recognize that as we are honest and as we are faithful to declare the truth of God to the world, we too are going to be rejected. We will face persecution. It happened to John, it happened to Jesus, it happened to the apostles, and it will happen to everyone who is faithful. You say, Travis, how do you know that? 
In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Or 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul simply says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, folks, the world that, submit, that refuses to submit to the word of God will not love anybody who truly upholds the word of God. If you love the Bible, believe the Bible, and obey the Bible, you will eventually find yourself opposed by the world around you. Just notice how things have already gone. Years ago, tolerance was a buzzword in our society. And what did tolerance mean years ago? Years ago, tolerance meant you are supposed to live and let live. You don't, you don't try to hurt somebody for not believing what you believe. That was what tolerance was. But over the past generation, the tone has changed. No longer are we allowed to simply tolerate the behaviors of others that violate Scripture. That's not what we're supposed to do anymore. Today, the only way to be socially acceptable in our society is to embrace and to applaud those same behaviors. Life is hard. And it's going to get harder, Christians. So, what do we do? Well, that's why I actually made this point. Expect rejection. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm not trying to, to make you, oh, self-pitying. And hear me very carefully. Do not go out and do something to earn rejection. You can earn the hatred of the world by acting like a jerk. Don't do that. Be kind. Be civil. Be gracious. But be honest. Be faithful to Scripture. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to find that the world will turn against you just the way Herod attacked John for speaking the truth. But be ready for it. And determine beforehand that you will honor Christ no matter the cost. Why is this helpful? Look, if you think that you can do something that will make you avoid rejection, you'll do it. If you think you can compromise somewhere and you won't be persecuted, you probably will. But if you know that no matter what, if you're faithful to God you will be persecuted by the world, then you start weaving iron into your backbone and you get ready for it. And that's what I mean by expect rejection. Just toughen up by the Spirit of God. Be honest, but expect it, and you can be ready for it. Point number two, after expect rejection, worship Jesus 
the Messiah. Worship Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 13 to 16. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So Jesus goes back to the region of Galilee, up in the north. Like he was in the south ministering, he goes up north. And it would have made sense for Jesus to return to Nazareth, his hometown, right? Isn't that logical? You leave the south where you've been, you go back home. But for whatever reason, this was not Jesus' plan. The Lord Jesus moved his headquarters of of his public ministry to the town of Capernaum, which is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we've already seen in Matthew's Gospel, many times already, the things Jesus did were often more important than those who saw them originally realized. And Jesus has moved back to the north, to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee, that actually fulfilled an Old Testament prediction, an Old Testament prediction about the Messiah, the one God had been promising would come and crush the devil and make right what had gone wrong in the world. Time and time again in Matthew's Gospel, He shows us actions of Jesus that ring like a bell, the words of the prophets who came before. Jesus, we saw earlier, was born in the right place and to the right family to be the promised one. As a child, Jesus lived in Egypt and then moved back to Nazareth, which fit the things that were said about the Messiah of old. And now his move to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali draws our minds to promises of the prophets. And here's the beautiful thing, folks. When you read the promise of Isaiah, when you read the promise about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which Matthew references here, guys, it's full of hope and it's full of promise. The original passage is about the hope that would dawn, shining like a bright light in a land where hope had seemingly run out. That northern land had seen the crushing power of the Assyrian and the Syrian kingdoms. How in the world could light dawn there? The answer from Isaiah is that the promised king would come on the same path where so many had been led captive before. If if you want to flip there, you can. It will just be there a second. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And the reason I tell you this longer passage, Matthew quotes for us verse 2. But anybody who knew their Old Testament prophecy would tie all this together. And I want you to hear the significance here because it's gorgeous. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 reads as follows. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. That sounds hopeful, doesn't it? Keep listening and see if something else rings familiar to you about the Messiah. 
You've multiplied the nations. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Why? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Friends, Jesus is the very one God has promised and promised since the very beginning. Jesus is the one sent from God to crush the devil and be the king of the world forever. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is the Messiah. And Matthew under the inspiration of God, points out to us that Jesus, when he moved back to Galilee, when he moved back to Capernaum, when he lived in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, he was the one that God had been promising. He is the light to come to bring hope to a hopeless people. He wants us to see that Jesus is the very promised Messiah. Jesus is God who came to earth to rescue his people and to be the king. And the only proper response there is is for you and for me to get under his lordship, to bow before Jesus, and to declare him to be our king. Seek his mercy. Worship Jesus, the Messiah. Third point. You ready? This is a long one. Repent. That's all I got. Look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You notice that the message of Jesus is actually the same message that John the Baptist had been preaching before him? The call. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the word repent has three main ideas that are all sort of wrapped together in one package. It is a call to change how you think, how you feel, and how you act. To repent is a call to change how you think, how you feel, and how you act. Imagine that you're driving down an unfamiliar street and you're assuming, because to the best of your knowledge, the speed limit is 45. All of a sudden, you see a sign that passes you rather quickly, which says speed limit 20. There should be a few things that happen at that moment. First, you make a mental adjustment, right? You realize that what you thought 
was appropriate behavior is actually not appropriate behavior. You had believed you were driving at appropriate speed, and you now understand that the law is different than what you assumed. That is a change of how you think. Next, if your conscience is soft, because all of you godly people have believed the Bible in Romans chapter 13, which tells us to obey the laws, so you drive the speed limit. That's what you do. Some of you are ducking right now. If you have a tender conscience, you might feel sad. Right? I don't want to break the law. And you feel bad. Or or you might have a little fear. You could be in trouble for what you've been doing. Your feeling changes, right? What you think changed, what you feel changed. Finally, you change your behavior, right? You slow down. You start to obey the posted speed limit. You stop doing what's wrong and you change to doing what's right. To repent is to change how you think, how you feel, and how you act. That is the call of God on our lives, both from the lips of John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ. So consider your life. Where are you thinking in ways opposed to God? Where are you believing yourself to be your own master? Where do your thoughts and your actions not line up with the scriptures? Allow God, through his word, to change your thinking so as to reveal to you that you're not okay with him in areas where your life doesn't match scripture. Then, where you look at your life compared to scripture and see that it doesn't match up. Allow your emotions to be affected by the truth of your situation. Sorrow over sin. We should be sad. We should feel genuine regret when we fail to obey God. You ever feel genuine regret when you were doing something wrong and you find out about it? I hope so. Finally, change. Turn from wrong thinking. Turn from wrong behavior to the righteous alternative. It's never enough just to stop what's wrong. It is always to be accompanied by doing what is right. When this happens, you've repented. Now, why does Jesus tell us to repent? He said we should repent because God's kingdom is at hand. This is a really interesting statement, by the way. The kingdom of God is all about the rule of God. So, in a sense, where is the kingdom of God? Well, it's over the whole universe, right? Because God actually rules over the whole universe. Y'all, there is not one square centimeter in the entire galaxy or beyond that God is not God and King of kings and Lord of lords and master and ruler over all. R.C. Sproul once said, what, if if there's even one maverick molecule in the universe, then God's not God. God is ruling it all. But at the same time, the kingdom of God is arriving and it's growing because the world is being impacted by the rule of God as people share the good news of Jesus and as people turn from sin. 
John the Baptist told people, get ready, because the promised king from God is coming, and Jesus is that promised one from God, and Jesus has arrived. So in a very real sense, the kingdom of God has come. And at the same time, at the same time, Jesus did not come to earth first to reign. He came first to die as the only sacrifice for our sins. He, he died and rose from the grave to purchase our pardon. And where's Jesus now? He's alive, sitting on the throne of the universe, awaiting the day when he comes back. And he will then come and reign as king forever. So the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. The call of God, however, is the same. God says that you and I are to repent because the kingdom of God has arrived and the kingdom of God is on its way. And we do. We repent. We stop thinking that we're good on our own. We start feeling the sorrow that we should over our sins. And then we turn our lives away from self and toward Jesus Christ. We decide that we want to obey God more than we want to run our lives ourselves. We confess our sin to God and we ask for forgiveness because of Jesus. We change. We start following. Following the commands of God, that is what it means to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Christians, that's a call on us. Repent. Fourth point. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Verses 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. So next, Matthew shows us an example of how Jesus called his disciples to himself. Now, just in case it seems really dramatic here, this is probably not the first time Jesus met these guys. They didn't wonder who that dude was on the shore and say, sure, I'll give up my life and career and follow you. Jesus had been in the area for a while, These guys were probably already acquainted. In fact, we we learn from John chapter 1 that Andrew had been a disciple of John the Baptist. And he began to get to know Jesus after John baptized him. That's all in John chapter 1. Matthew doesn't record it, but it's there. Well, in this account, we see two pairs of brothers, right? And in both instances, Jesus says, look, guys, stop what you're doing. Follow me. To Peter and Andrew, Jesus said, I will change you from being an ordinary fisherman to be a, being a fisher of men. You're going to be part of God's plan to bring people into God's family. And in both cases, the men immediately put down their nets and they started following Jesus. They became his disciples. Now, you think, what's a disciple? Literally, the word disciple just means follower. That's all it means. It means somebody who follows somebody around and learns from them and does what they do. That's, by the way, what you and I are called to be. Now, Jesus might not call all of us to drop our families and drop our careers and follow him. 
He does present us all with the call to be his disciples. We're called to learn from his teachings. We're called to place ourselves under his lordship. We're called to spend time with him, to love him, to learn to be like him in his obedience to the word of God. So ask yourself this question. If Jesus were saying to you, come, follow me, how would you answer? How have you answered? Is your life marked as being a follower of Jesus? Are you learning from him? Are you obeying him? How about the call to fish for people? Are you helping other people around you to know who Jesus is? Are you helping people around you to better follow him? Do you use your words and your life to point people to Jesus? Pray, Christians, that God will grant you the opportunity to talk to somebody about him and that he will strengthen you with his spirit to do so for his glory. And then, what about working to follow Jesus together? Did you notice how many people did Jesus call to follow him? I mean, even right here, there's nobody by themselves, is there? Jesus called a group. These men spent time together. They learned together. They changed together. They grew together. Can I tell you something, Christians? If you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you must be gathering with other believers for the purpose of growth. Do you all buy that? Make that part of what you do. So, so meet with believers. Now, listen to me here, real carefully, so you know how to do this, okay? Top priority, you need to be meeting together here for worship. That needs to be happening in your lives. Join us, believers. This has to be priority. It has to be. I, I get that we won't all, all make it all the time every week. But gathering for worship as a body is priority. And your week should be as centered around coming to worship as anything else in the whole wide world. It should just be assumed that on a Sunday I'm worshiping with Christians. I get it that it won't always work for you. I get it that things will happen. But guys, let's shape our lives this way. Join us for Sunday school, by the way. The Bible never says, thou shalt meet for Sunday school of two. But, but, we grow together in Sunday school. We talk, we share prayer requests, we learn together, we discuss what we're learning, we talk it out, we, we grow. And it happens right here. And you're already coming anyway, right? So if you're not part of Sunday school, can I encourage you? Make that a part of your life. We got stuff for all the ages. It's all there. Come and be part. And, and we meet here in our church. 
in homes for fellowship and life application. That's what those two four two groups are about, right? Where in Acts two verse forty two it says the disciples met together house to house for food and breaking bread and fellowship and the, the teaching. Get together with believers like that and and and, and learn and, and talk about the sermon. By the way, not not just to be mean to me. It's okay if you do, but you know there's other good reasons to do that, right? Oh come on, that was silly. You, it is good to get together and say, how do you do this? It is good to get together to say, what's a practical way that I can do this? Brainstorm and dream and pray together. That's what they're about. That's what those groups are about. Meet together with a few faithful friends, right? For, for prayer, for accountability, for growth. Like the men Jesus called so many years ago, follow Jesus. And I would add, do it together. Last point, point number five. This actually is a bit longer of a point. Deliver God's call and display God's compassion. Deliver God's call and display God's compassion. It's one of the most alliterated sermon points I've ever done. I'm not using that alliterative, you see. Look at verses 23 to 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread among all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So this should feel to you almost like the introduction is closing here. That's what this section is, right? We see that the life and ministry of Jesus is about to take off. And he tells us here, Matthew tells us here, Jesus went out preaching and teaching and healing. What is preaching? Preaching is proclaiming truth. Teaching is probably the same thing with a little bit more depth. One fits better the public square while the other is better set in the synagogue. But both... Preaching and teaching always happen together. For example, what am I doing right now? Well, it's both, isn't it? I mean, I'm telling you lots of truths, but I'm doing it loud, so it's both preaching and teaching. (laughs) At the same time, Jesus traveled around the whole region, and he healed all kinds of sicknesses, and he took care of all sorts of evil. He cast out demons. You know what, folks? Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, ever since the very first human sin, the world has been broken. Have you noticed, by the way, that the world's been broken? People have been in the dark as to the the truth of God. People have been suffering the effects of the corruption of sin. People have faced sickness. People have faced spiritual attack. People have faced death. And what Jesus was doing as he traveled around in his ministry, he was turning back the effects of the fall of man by preaching and by teaching and by healing. He was showing everybody that he had come, that he is the Messiah, and that he will set right what has gone wrong in this ugly, ugly world. He was giving a hint to the world of what would happen when he actually does come to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. That should make you look forward to that day when Jesus comes and finishes this whole business, by the way. Now, I like to say in this description 
Jesus was delivering the call of God and displaying the compassion of God, right? Because delivering the call means Jesus was telling people, repent, trust in me, obey the word of God. That call is out there for every single person in the world. The Bible says that God commands all people everywhere to repent and come to Jesus for salvation. Well, displaying the compassion of God is clear in what Jesus was doing for the needy that he touched. He reached out to the oppressed. He reached out to the diseased. He changed their lives. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave speech to those who couldn't speak. He gave mobility to those who could not walk. Jesus, with the resources at his disposal, showed the world that God is gracious, that God is compassionate, just as God always has introduced himself to be. Even in the Old Testament, God constantly said, My name is the Lord. Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And as we pull our attention away from this story as it unfolds this morning, we should be hearing in our own hearts the call to do what Jesus did. We too have the ability to deliver God's call and to display God's compassion. We can tell our friends, we can tell our family, we can tell the world around us that God is. We can tell them that God is the rightful king. We can tell them that we all need to turn away from sin. We need to yield to the commands of God. We need to find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And we can display the compassion of God. We can be kind to the hurting. We can give to the needy. We can care for the sick. We can show the world that by the grace of God, his kingdom is coming. We can turn the darkness of this world toward light. We can bring beauty in where ugliness reigns. We can bring peace where anger and cruelty and meanness reign. We can bring kindness where ugliness is. We can... Think and we can act differently than a fallen world and we can show the world the compassion of the Savior. Friends, our Savior is wonderful. And this passage just starts to scratch the surface of how great He is. And it gives us things to expect and to do to honor Him. Yes, expect rejection and persecution as His followers and meet those challenges with courage. Yes, recognize Jesus as Messiah and worship Him appropriately. We can repent thinking, feeling, and acting differently by the grace of God and by the power of His Spirit. We can follow Jesus coming together to live out what God has called us to be. And we can deliver God's call and display His compassion to the world around us. So folks, let's pray together and let's ask God to help us to see and to do these things. And if you haven't yet yielded your life to Jesus, if you haven't given your life over to Jesus, if you haven't found God's mercy in Christ, I urge you to turn from sin, trust in Jesus and begin a new life under his rule. Come talk to me after the service is over and I will help you to get to know our wonderful, merciful Savior. Let's bow together as we pray and as the worship team comes up to lead us in this song. Lord God, you are good and you have called us. You have called us to yourself. And I would ask you that as we have seen the opening notes, the opening lines, the opening scenes of the public ministry of the Savior, as we've seen that, Lord, help us, Lord, to be and to do what you call us to. 
Let us marvel at the Savior. Let us worship the Savior. Let us repent and obey the Savior. Help us to be what you called your people to be. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.